Yo, what's up, everybody? Thank you so much for tuning into the gathering today. Remember, we have our brand new app out on the App Store and Google Play. Go review it, go download it. It makes the world of a difference. But now, without further ado, turn up your earphones, crank up those speakers, grab your Bible, and get ready for a word from Grant Reynolds. I'm excited to preach the second part in our Silent Night message series. Because Silent Night is probably one of the most iconic Christmas, in fact, it probably is the most iconic Christmas song. If I told you to sing it, you could all sing it. Silent night, holy night. This is why I don't lead worship. This is why we have Edmund and Demetria. But everybody knows this song. Everybody has heard it from Bing Crosby's beautiful rendition to Mariah Carey. Hello, Jesus. Uh, Backstreet Boys, NSYNC, everybody. Elvis Presley. Elvis. Charlene. Never mind. That's like some weird Garth Brooks country version. I don't know what that was. But everybody has done a version of this song. It's one of the top-selling songs in worldwide history. Over 100 million copies of this song has been sold. And it all started because a priest in Austria asked a, a songwriter to write them a new Christmas song for Christmas Eve. But it, it couldn't be complicated because they didn't have an organ. And so they needed him to write a song where they could just play on the acoustic guitar. Simple, easy to play, easy to understand. One of the most iconic songs in the history of music. And so we're walking through it. And the last one we did, all is calm, all is bright. Even when it doesn't feel calm, even when it doesn't feel bright, because if you look at it, nothing about the birth of Jesus was calm or bright. Nothing about the birth of Jesus made sense. It was a disaster. They go and they travel a three-day journey. Have you ever thought about taking a pregnant lady, putting her on a donkey's back, and making her go for three days? Ah, I wouldn't even take my not-pregnant wife and put her on a donkey and carry her around three days. That's a disaster. I would no longer be alive. It would be game over but Joseph takes her I mean you back it up even some more you have Jesus you know God that speaks Mary and it's like yes Lord you're pregnant oh no everybody wants to stone me it's just this crazy situation Joseph is like oh you uh never mind and so God's like no she's not and he's like okay puts her on a donkey Takes her three-day journey to go pay taxes. Not just any taxes, but they were raising taxes. Why else you got to go do a census unless they're raising taxes? That was a lie. (laughs) IRS, man. They get to where they're going, and they can't stay anywhere. My wife's falling apart with a baby inside of her, and there's nowhere to stay. Except in a, in a stable or a cave. Sure wasn't calm with the donkeys and the sheep. Have you ever been in a barn? I have. 
Number one, they stink. Barns smell really bad because animals just defecate everywhere. Like they don't have a special place to go. They just go everywhere. And so I can imagine Joseph trying to move poop to find a place for Mary to sit to birth King Jesus. Not very calm. Lately on my Facebook, for some reason, I don't know why, this is what Siri is listening to us. Because lately I've been getting videos of people birthing babies. I don't know why. But on my Facebook newsfeed, ever since I started preaching this message series and talking about giving birth, I've been getting videos on Facebook of people doing, I mean, everything from in the pool to in the bathtub to in the hospital. I think I've learned like 12 different ways to birth a child thanks to Facebook. I report those videos every single time. Nothing about that is calm. This... They did not have an epidural. All natural. You throw in the mix that it was dark. It's a disaster. Would you like to see more birthing videos? No, Siri. Thank you. Man, Siri's creepy, y'all. All this is going down and happening in the king of the universe is being born in the midst of manure and urine. Not calm, not bright. And the next line says, what's the next line? Shepherds quake at the sight. Shepherds quake. Quake is this deep tremor inside of you that makes you shake to your very you quake at the sight means that you feel like you're about to fall apart. That you face something that is bigger than you and bigger than you can even comprehend. The shepherds quake at the sight. This beautiful song with beautiful melody, I think it's Ironic that you have this beautiful melody and beautifully written words talking about manure, poop, and shepherds. But sometimes that's how we feel in our lives, right? Everything's this beautiful story, and this is what Christianity is supposed to look like. Happy! And it's not. It's real. Jesus gets it. He's been there. He's faced it. He was birthed in the midst of manure and stench. To show you that he is not afraid of your stench. And he never will be. The shepherds, the message that's going to change the world is shepherds. Nobody wanted to be shepherds. Let's be real. Nobody was like, I want to be a shepherd when I grow up. Because it made you ceremonially unclean. It was one of the most looked down upon. You were watching. They weren't watching their own sheep. They were hired to watch somebody else's sheep. Days on end without being able to shower. And this is where the message goes. Heaven meets earth on the side of a hill. Heaven collides with earth. Humanity and the supernatural collide together in one moment. On this hillside, 
of Bethlehem. The shepherds quake at the sight. If you have your Bible, switch to Luke chapter 2. We're going to read this story because I think it's an incredible story. The shepherds quake at the sight. Luke chapter 2, verse 8. In that region there were shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for see, I am bringing you good news and great joy for all the people. To you born today in the city of David a Savior who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a child wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those whom he favors. Heaven meets earth in Luke chapter 2. It's like breaking news, man. It kicks up. They're not expecting it. These guys are chilling on the hillside doing their thing. And out of nowhere, angels come out. No wonder they were quaking at the side. That's terrifying. If you were chilling at Starbucks and a multitude of angels, I don't know how many a multitude is, but a multitude's got to be more than like three. A multitude's a lot. So a lot of angels come out and they start singing and saying all of this stuff. Terrified doesn't even cut it. But there's a message that is sent. But how does heaven meet earth? I think there's three ways that heaven meets earth in this passage. Number one, heaven meets earth in an unexpected place. Heaven meets earth in an unexpected place, on a hillside, not in a palace. In the country, not in the city. Amongst the lowly people and not the kings. Some of y'all walking around feeling like you've been living your life in unexpected places. Guess what? That's exactly where Jesus is in the middle of the unexpected places. It doesn't matter if you feel like you've been walking around the hillside and you see everybody else walking around in the city. Guess what? The great news, the good news of the gospel that Jesus Christ has come, that hope and grace are here, creating a counterculture forever, was given in an unexpected place on a hillside. So don't ever look down at the place you find yourself in your life and feel brokenhearted. Sometimes you just need to be in an unexpected place for an unexplainable God. Heaven meets earth, number two, unsuspecting people. Shepherds, man. Shepherds, not the priests. You would think that if the God of the Jews was going to come down into the earth, that he would go to the chief priest Hey, just want to let you know, we're going to be sending the Messiah down. You've been praying. He's coming. He'll be here in roughly like three days. Mary and Joseph, Bethlehem, star. Go follow it. Do your thing. Not quite. Let's go to shepherds. 
And you see that in Jesus' life. Hangs out with prostitutes. Sits with drunks. King of the misfits. It didn't just start when he started ministry. It started when he wasn't even born yet. It started when the angels came to the, to the shepherds on the hillside, to the unsuspecting people, the people that nobody wanted to be around, and said, guess what? The God of the universe has come, and he loves you. Don't be afraid. Good tidings of great joy is coming, and guess what? I want you to go see him. I want you to go be with him. So it doesn't matter where you've been, where you're going, what you've been through. There is nothing about your life that is too messed up, too dirty, or too far gone for God to say, I can still use you. I still want to use you. I still love you. Don't ever for a moment think that you are somebody that God does not see because God sees the shepherds, the most unsuspecting people. If you're unsuspecting, if you're walking around life saying, God, where have you been? Guess what? You're in the place you need to be because the shepherds weren't even looking for it. Shepherds weren't even looking around. If you say, God, I haven't seen you, I'm going to forget you're here. You're in the perfect place that you need to be. If you're questioning your faith or wondering where God is, that's exactly where you need to be because that's the place the shepherds were. Out, gone, be, They were gone away from anybody. Nobody wanted them. Nobody was with them. Everybody turned their back on them. But God said, I love you. And so if I'm going to tell you one thing tonight, don't count yourself out because you think you're somebody else on a hillside. The God of the universe came to a hillside. I got to move on to the next point. Heaven meets earth with an unbelievable message. An unbelievable message. Great tidings of good joy, my people. Today, this day, born in Bethlehem, a Savior, Christ the Lord. They have been waiting for a Savior for years. They have been looking for the promise of a Messiah for years. 400 years between the last book of the Old Testament and the New Testament. Say. And then we're on a hillside with some shepherds. And God says, hey, guess what? It's time. I can't wait anymore. I need to be with you. I need to be with my children. Guess what? I'm coming now. An unbelievable message. I think that there's three words in this message that we can take from. And I believe that this message isn't just a message that we read around Christmas time. I believe that the message that the angels gave is a message for your life in the 21st century where you're at. And so if you feel like you're wandering around a place that nobody else is or you're a person that nobody sees, then this message is for you. Look with me. Luke chapter 2. Verse 10, it says, And the angel said to them, This is the unbelievable message. Do not be afraid. We could sit there forever. Don't be afraid. When there's something startling, don't be afraid. Don't fear. Calm your heart and know that the God of the universe sees you and loves you. And no matter what comes your way, you don't have to be afraid. 
For see, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. To you born today in the city of David, a Savior who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a child wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace amongst those who he favors. I think there's three words that we can pull out of this. First one is today. Today. They're hanging out 400 years between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Praying and waiting for God to actually move and do something. Because the Jewish people, if you look at the Old Testament, they go through about seven themes. There's seven themes in the Old Testament that you can see. And we've got them written out here that we can look at them really quick. The seven themes. The seven. There they are. These are seven themes that we see in the Old Testament. One, a wicked tyrant. A wicked tyrant comes and oppresses the people. Kicked around and pushed down. And then there's a chosen leader. David, Saul, the prophets. And then there's victory of God. God comes in, he stops time and he kills all of their enemies. Works through David to kill Goliath. Four, rescue by sacrifice. Five, new way of life. They've been rescued. God is the victory, and so we need to start a new way of life. Living and walking in the presence of God. And then finding ourselves in the promised land. Seven themes you see in the Old Testament. Seven themes that you see in the history of the Jewish people. And these seven themes were the themes... That when heaven met earth, and this message is what the message collided into. A history of oppression. Oppressed as exiles with Babylon to now oppressed by the Roman Empire. Not much has changed. The Israel people were like a roundabout. You've seen a roundabout. You've driven on a roundabout. They're the coolest things you can do. You can just like drive in a circle. It's awesome. But you've seen a roundabout. You've been on a roundabout. And just imagine with me that the Jewish people, the Israelites, are basically in a roundabout saying, let's go around this circle over and 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 over. Literally. So much so that it's annoying. Every time you read the Old Testament, you're like, really, guys? Really? You were so close, yet so far. That's the Israelites for you. And they go around in this roundabout of getting themselves messed up and trying to think that they can do it without God. And so then they get oppressed by new people. And then, you know, God is like, here you go. Let me rescue you. And there's sacrifice and Moses and David and, and Samuel and Saul and all of these people and Isaiah. Well, okay, let's go back into bondage. It's like this terrible roundabout. But some of y'all are living your lives like you're in a roundabout. Some of y'all think that your lives are just made up of seven themes, and you just got to go around seven themes. God is a God of new mercies every morning. 
Which means if you have been walking around in the same themes in your life since the day you were born and you were kicked down, pushed down, and shoved out, guess what? You don't have to stay in the same five, seven themes. God has new themes for your life called peace, joy, happiness, love. And he wants all you got to do is get off and exit. Today, not yesterday. Scripture says today is the day of salvation. If you're wondering, God, where are you? I need you to help me get out of this temptation. Okay, we'll try again tomorrow. Lord, I feel really bad. Like, I don't have any money and I'm broke. God, give me money. No money. Okay, we'll try again tomorrow. Lord Jesus, I need you to heal me, please. Okay, we'll do it again tomorrow. I guess we'll try again next Sunday. There is an active participation that takes place in the gospel between you and God. And if you want to walk around the same roundabout for the rest of your life, go for it. But I'm here to tell you today that God is something bigger and better for you than to go around the same temptations, the same problems, the same issues. You struggle with anxiety, then get out of the roundabout for God's sake and walk in the peace that God has given you. If you feel like you have bad relationships and you've gone from one guy to one guy to one guy and you just keep trying to do the same thing again, well, take the next exit and let God be your guy and be your guide to the right guy just get out of the roundabout and walk in it what God has for you instead of trying to get God to get in the roundabout with you too many times we want God to get in the roundabout with us God sit with me in my pain he's saying no son get up and walk with me in victory if David had walked around forever feeling like he was worthless and nothing. My man was a shepherd. Prophet comes to his dad's house and says, hey, I'm looking for the king and I think he's here. And your dad forgets about you. There might be a problem. Do you have any more sons? No. Oh, wait, yeah, there's the one dude. He's out in the field, though. Okay, we'll bring him in. Anoints him the king of Israel. And then his dad sends him right back out to the pasture. And then his dad says, hey, can you go give some food to go help the Israelites? You know, they're all fighting the, the people. Go take this food to your brothers. And you go to your brothers and you start looking around and you see Goliath. And your brothers say, why don't you go home back to the measly sheep? Talk about worthless. But if David had just said, God, walk with me in my roundabout, you would never have the story of David and Goliath. There may be a Goliath in your life that God wants to destroy, but you got to get out of your roundabout and go straight for the enemy that is right in front of you. God wants to do something today, not tomorrow, not yesterday, but right now. Number two. News of great joy for all people. For some reason, Christians think that the gospel and the good news and the Great Commission means sitting in our Christian bubbles, in our Christian church, with our Christian t-shirt, 
our Christian bumper stickers, going to our Christian concerts, listening to our Christian radio. If there was a Christian grocery store, you better believe they'd be there. People are walking around with some of the weirdest bumper stickers I have ever seen. This is a real bumper sticker. You can buy that bumper sticker from Lifeway. I'm all for being unashamed of the gospel. But if you got a bumper sticker that says elect Jesus, your life leader, let me just tell you something. It's like those turn or burn billboards on the side of the street. My wife and I will laugh at you all day long. We're like, oh, look at them. They're funny. The gospel is meant to go out to all the people, not just the people we think are the pretty ones. Not just the people that look right. Why are we changing from Wednesday nights? Because we need to go be with the people on Sunday nights when people are out and doing things on the weekend. This is a message for all people. Given to shepherds is a picture of all the people. God is wanting to tell you tonight that the message that he has is for you. But it's not just supposed to stay with you. It's supposed to go through you to all the people. Number one today, number two, all, number three, suddenly. Suddenly. You see it right here. It says, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude. God is the God of suddenly. When you think that you've got nothing left to give, no more gas in the engine, suddenly there's a 7-Eleven. I have this thing where I like to try to drive my car down to where, so I have the little screen that tells me the, the miles left until empty, and I try to like, I, I like to drive it down to zero to test my faith and see, Lord, are you real? <laughs> yeah, it's the stupidest thing I've ever done. Uh, God is the God of sudden. That even when we feel like we've lost everything and we're on empty, suddenly God will walk in. The shepherds weren't looking, weren't expecting, but suddenly a multitude of angels. So wherever you are in your life, let me tell you something. God wants to move suddenly in the midst of your problems. He wants to move. God is in the process of working on the rest of your life. But so many of us are living life as if we're looking in the rearview mirror instead of, the, instead of out of the front window. There is a reason why rearview mirrors are smaller than, what's that miracle? Windshield, thank you. I wanted to say dashboard. That didn't make any sense. I passed driver's ed, I promise. It was actually a lady from our church, and we did nothing that had to do anything with driver's ed, and that's how I got my license. We just drove around and talked about church all day long. But anyway, that is favor, and suddenly, don't get me started. There's a reason why the rearview mirror is smaller than the windshield, because you're only supposed to have a little amount of focus on what's behind you, 
So that way you can have all your focus on what's ahead of you. But some of y'all have flipped it around and made your rear view mirrors so big that you can't see out of your windshield. God is in front of you trying to take you somewhere, but there's no wonder you're going around in a roundabout because you're looking at your past trying to see where should I go based on where you've been. And God says, no, honey, I want to take you where I'm going to take you regardless of anywhere you've gone. That's the message that God is speaking. So I want you to take in your life and put your rearview mirror in the correct size, which is this big, big enough to look behind you so you don't make the same mistakes twice. But not so big that you can't see what God is doing today and tomorrow. Suddenly. Banji can come back up. So my question for you is this. Will you recover the awe? Will you recover the awe of Christmas? I get it. Christmas season can be a little intense. And a lot of people get to Christmas and they hate it and they just wish Christmas was over. But will you recover the awe tonight? The awe that the shepherds had when the angels came and they quaked at the sight. The awe that you have when God moves suddenly in your life. It's easy to be in awe of God right after he does something big. But can you be in awe of God when you're sitting on a hillside? Will you recover the awe tonight? I have this poem I want to read for you. It's by C.S. Lewis. It's called The Nativity. Among the oxen, like an oxen, I'm slow. I see a glory in the stable grow, which with the ox's dullness might be a length. Give me an ox's strength. Among the donkeys, stubborn I as they, I see my Savior where I looked for hay. So may my beast-like folly learn at least the patience of a beast. Among the sheep, I like a sheep have strayed. I watch the manger where my Lord is laid. Oh, that my baying nature would win thence some woolly. Whether you feel like you're dull like an ox or you've strayed like a sheep or you're so stubborn you've been going around the same roundabout like a donkey. I can tell you what, C.S. Lewis didn't use the word donkey. I'm not going to use it. It'll get me in trouble. But I can tell you is this that the awe found in this poem of capturing this idea that even there's something to be learned from the oxen, something to be learned from the donkey, something to be learned of the sheep, the lowliest of the lows in the midst of the manger where Jesus was born in the nativity scene, that we can learn something from them. So tonight, if you need to recover the awe of Christmas, today, 
not tomorrow, not yesterday, but right now, today, God wants to give you the awe back. The awe of his grace, the awe of his mercy, the awe of his peace. He wants you to recover that tonight. If you need to invite heaven to meet earth, your suddenly moment can be right now. If you need God to come in and say, God, I've been doing this thing on my own for too long. I need you to come into my life and heaven meet earth right now. Suddenly can happen right here. If you say, I need to be a part of bringing the gospel, you can be a part of the all of the message of sharing the gospel to the people in the world around you. Would you stand with me? That's this week's word. We're so thankful that you decided to join the gathering today. We are the gathering and we're so grateful for you. Remember, go download the app, Google Play, Apple Store, share it, review it. It makes a huge difference. God bless. And remember, let love echo.